Hey, friends, Film Files, welcome back. Thanks for finding us again, and I'm glad that you did because we have somewhat of a strange episode today, although we'll explain later it's relatively appropriate. Um, I'm here with some, uh, some appropriate guests today. Our topic is film scores and film music, which might sound like kind of a stretch, kind of a departure, but for me it's not. For me it's one of the most emotional ingredients in the in the cake of of storytelling in film and so we'll uh we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But let's see who's here with us today. Let's start with this guy. Hi, it's me, Norm Burns. Glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And it's me, Anna Holgeen. I'm also glad to be here. C.J. Johnson, and I'm very glad to be here. Oh, all right, C.J. wins. <laughs> he seems the most grateful. This is Movie Show Theater. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Good morning, Vietnam! I drink your Milkshake! I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Keep the change, you filthy animal. I'm sorry, you just tough talk a dead body? Get busy living or get busy dying. Keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. That's goddamn right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. So we've talked about doing something like this for a while, and this is one of those things where, like, I'm well aware that not everybody gives a shit about film music. Like, even film nuts specifically, a lot of people don't, not necessarily care, but don't notice. And I think sometimes you're not really supposed to notice. But anyway, so I, I came up with a couple trivias, a couple trivias here for oh, you. Yeah. There's only two, so if somebody uh, gets both, I think they'll, they'll, be, they'll be picking the next one. Oh, yeah. Old star. And if Sam was here, I would not give that option because he, he'll win and I he picks his movie and I'm like, Maniac cop. anything else you want to do? <laughs> I mean, whatever. Okay, so Hans Zimmer, John Williams, and Jerry Goldsmith, in my mind, are like the titans of music composition. Three of my favorites. Which one do you think has more composing credits? Not music department credits, but composing credits. I mean, I'm, I'm. Mm. <laughs> what are some Jerry Goldstein? Jerry Goldsmith did. Uh, well, he did a the original Alien. Oh, oh, okay. He did okay. No, I know the Haunting with Owen Wilson. Uh-huh. He did. Uh, he does a lot of horror stuff. Okay. I'm actually gonna go with him. I think, think so. He, I think so. He's like one of those unsung, not quite a household name, but I'm gonna say John Williams. I'm gonna go with John Williams too. So. Uh, John Williams has 146. Whoa. Hans Zimmer has 192. Holy and Jerry Goldsmith has 247. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoa, man. You tricked me. Yeah, he's got, uh, I, I think it's due to, and you can probably speak more on this, but I think it's due to the fact that he not disguises his sound, but he's got a lot of variation. You don't always know when you're listening to okay. a Jerry Goldsmith score. Or like with John Williams within the first two notes. You know. Yeah. I didn't even think I didn't think Hans Zimmer would have more than Yeah. I was going for age. That's me too. I was like, he's about like ninety five <laughs> yeah. or something. Got, How long has he been doing this? He's got like a decade or two years. on him. 
Jerry Goldsmith was born in 1923. Okay. Well, John John Williams is, I think, in his 90s as well. Yeah, John Williams was born in 1932. Okay. Wow. But Jerry Goldsmith died, didn't he? I think so. I think he's been dead for a little while. Okay. Well, I should have known that. We'll edit that out. <laughs> um, okay. This question is called, what? No. Are you kidding me? So I'm going to read three statements about musical compositions, and one of them is false. But only one. Okay. Two of them are true. Ennio Morricone, who's famous for his well, pretty much invention of spaghetti westerns. He did uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. He did all the Clint Eastwood films and Kill Bill. But he's also the man who wrote and scored 1985's Red Sonia with Arnold Schwarzenegger, as well as The Exorcist Two: The Heretic. Statement two. David Lynch's 1984 Dune boasts a score written and composed by the 80s rock band Toto. And uh, statement three, Spike Lee went so broke while making his first feature, Something's Gotta Give, that he ended up writing and composing his own score, and it is bad. Oh, oh man. Uh, my guess is, is that, uh, oh, man, I don't know. I want to say that Toto... Is a lie. <laughs> don't you wish it was true, though? <laughs> yeah, I really do. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if Toto's capable of Dune ever. <laughs> Whatever, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sending a tweet to Toto right now. <laughs> oh, look, they responded already. <laughs> hey, they're having a real renaissance because people have discovered that song about the rains in Africa. Oh, yeah, yeah, only 40 years after they wrote it. <laughs> but they're relevant again, so give Toto some credit. They are. The new generation is into that song in particular. Wait, was I right? Is I Toto the we'll have to oh, see. Yeah, we'll yeah, have to see what, um, uh, I'm going to go with the, I don't know, the first one. About the Red Sonia. That's a really bad Arnold Schwarzenegger movie I've from the 80s. Of it. Oh, you're lucky. I'm watching it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> CJ, what do you think? I'm going Spike. You said Spike Jones or Spike Lee? Spike Lee. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with that one because people are going to help out Spike Lee with some music. Yeah. Yeah, that was the lie. Ah, Toto, Toto really did, did it? yeah. As Damn. soon as I said that, CJ was over there and he's like, "Yep, they did." <laughs> <laughs> I remember it's one pretty of those clickbait things, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Seriously?" <laughs> yep, I re I read that too, oh, and man. it was actually not bad. I thought it was pretty good. Okay, um, okay. So, film music for me, it's kind of weird because I have the least authority of anybody in here. I have no musical ability whatsoever. I bought a guitar for a couple years. I remember that. I loved I loved buying it and I loved tuning it. I got really good at tuning it and I had a couple of really talented musician friends who were just like in love with the idea that, that I bought this guitar and they were so passionate about giving me lessons and I just I'm not saying I I couldn't have done it but I just I just didn't. Um <laughs> however, I do think that music and films is the most emotional connection to me. So I was trying to figure out like why why is it important? If I have to if I had to break down uh what's the big deal about film music. So I broke it down into three levels. <laughs> <laughs> the easiest is that film music it establishes the setting, it creates the atmosphere and it creates emotion. Level 2, a little deeper. Uh it can call attention to specific elements in the movie. It reinforces and foreshadows developments in the story. It gives meaning to a character's actions and translates their thoughts. And the third level, film scores are an entirely different channel of storytelling 
the purpose is simple, but the lasting effects are like life changing. You know, like I, I asked everybody here to come up with a piece of music that they thought showcased the importance of film or the impact of film. And just for me to do it at even like a week and a half of like trying to find a fucking piece of music that fit that bill is really, really hard. Yeah. If I'm watching a movie and the music doesn't pull me in, then that'll honestly deter the rest of it. Doesn't matter how good the script is, how good the acting is. If, if I hear what I believe to be like, "Ah, I don't like that. You know, it's just, I kind of give up. Mm -hmm. But then the ones that pull me in right off the bat, the music can bring me to tears. Those are my favorites. Those are my favorite films of all time. Always have the best scores. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, I'll be like, I'll be thinking about the score long after the movie is over. Oh, yeah, just singing in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what? Is, so you're, you're, a, you're a musician? Yeah. That, that's why you're here? That's why you think I chose you? Yeah, I, I, I'd hope so, maybe. Or maybe it's my dashingly good looks yeah but uh a little both i love your good looks for the podcast thanks i shaved Um, (laughs) (laughs) no it was uh the first cd i ever bought the first cd i ever got was williams on williams the best of john williams (laughs) and then i wouldn't even buy it wasn't like i'd buy the movie soundtracks well i had the space jam soundtrack but i'd always buy the scores more than i'd buy like the song compilations so i had like the golden eye score oh yeah and uh uh, the Matrix, the score, the first yeah, Matrix. Don Davis. Yeah, it was great, and I listened to that until you know I was probably like fifteen or sixteen before I ever even paid any attention to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So part of me still misses playing jazz band. Like I still love jazz music, and there's elements of that in film scoring. I'd say the emotional response is what drew me in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish uh, I wish I was a film scorer like uh, someone in the room here. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I always show you like almost everything that I do as confirmation. You're like the music supervisor of yeah. my life. <laughs> but you, but I bet you don't really need validation I do. after. Really? I do. Yeah, yeah. I get to be a nervous wreck sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was listening to this really interesting interview with James Franco when uh, Disaster Artist came out. And they were talking about – he did like millions. But there was this one – I think it was an XM interview – and this guy was just asking like really personal questions. Um, and he was like, how do you as an artist deal with rejection, you know, the way that this character does? And he's like, well, you know, I think for a lot of years I was doing so many projects. That's kind of who I was known as. And so I would deal with rejection by involving myself so deeply with so many things that by the time somebody had a chance to criticize my work, I'd be like, oh, you didn't like that? OK, well, I'm already on this over here. So do you find do you find it hard to like put your your work out there without getting that like validation? I mean, you know, you're good, right? I mean, I mean, I've definitely I notice progression like, you know, when it whether it's recording bands or, you know, writing music for film scores, I notice like that I've gotten to a certain point where I'm not walking down stairs and like freaking out to pat my roommate for a little bit being just like going over the scene and just talking about my interaction with the director. Um, so it's been less of that, which is comforting to me. So I know that I'm, I'm going somewhere with it. Uh, and just, you know, the opportunities have been getting better and I feel more confident when I like cold email directors, things of that nature, but there's always, you know, going to be something inside of me that's like i need to do this better where i want to get better at this you know like i'm pretty pathetic right now at like trying to layer multitudes of strings and that's something that i love strings so i want to be awesome at it i want to be really good like some of my favorite horror scores have been 
nothing but strings. Um, so I want to get to that point, but you know, it's, it's a progress. Like with anything, you know, you have to go for it and keep doing it and keep doing it and sucking and failing. And then you just get better at it and better at it. I think it's good to hold yourself to like a certain, you know, you don't want to be too comfortable doing anything. So the idea of like demanding more of yourself for any artist, I feel like. Yeah. Anything you do. Yeah. And how about you wife? Why do you think, why do you think? Um, probably my good looks for sure is why I'm here. You're um, no norm, but you're pretty cute. Uh, <laughs> by extension, uh, well, I am your wife, so I appreciate you inviting me along. Uh, but I'm also, I mean, I, I guess I just have, uh, I'm very opinionated and I've studied music and we've spent, I don't know how many hours of our relationship talking about film scores. So like pretty well versed in this. And it's something that's very important to me. It's one of the first things that we talk about when we finish a movie is the score. And, uh, got a long, well-loved history with it. Just like norms. I had an older sibling that introduced me to John Williams and that was my first soundtrack. That was my first score. And it was to actually Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. So thanks to my dad and my sister for getting me on that train and uh, never got off. And it's been a long 25 years of love with John Williams. And of course, you know, you start branching out and, you know, there's so much talent out there now. It's incredible. And so that's it. It started very, very young. So, um, but I never stopped loving it. And it's always been the first thing that I really list, look for in a movie and, I pay probably more attention than the average person to it for sure. And it's something that can really make or break a movie for me. And if it's bad and it's, that can really, it just ruins the whole experience. Mm -hmm. But if it's good, then like we're not even in the parking lot and I'm already like putting it onto my phone. You yeah. Know? I'm like, it's already downloaded and I'm ready and I'm like ready to listen to it on my commute. Like I'm, I'm there and I'm like looking for the, the, the track that I liked that much. And I've gone so far that like random B movies that I liked five years ago, there was like a melody that I really loved and I will search and search and search the internet for it until I find whatever pre-purchased like Craig Armstrong theme that was that they put in there and I will find it. <laughs> And then I'm like, oh my god! It took it took me two years one time to find a theme that I really really liked. Yeah. But I found it, and I would just kind of come back to it. So like that's I have a lot of passion for the subject matter. I think that's why I'm here. Also, you married me. And yeah. <laughs> I remember when you when when you moved here five years ago. When we made the drive from New Mexico to Peoria, it was about 25 hours, and almost exclusively we listened to scores. It was like scores. a six hour block where it was like only soundtracks and as yeah. long as we could oh, it was play it. was a lot it. longer than that. But it was there, like, that was it. Like, we, yeah. we would, like, change it up and then, like, there was, like, six hours where we were both so tired and just, like, really sick of being in the car because they, and, like, Oklahoma is, like, really expensive to drive through because of really expensive tolls. And oh, it, really? Oh, God, it's so stupid. <laughs> it's terrible. It's like 225 Yeah, it was really expensive. Jeez. We just, like, smelled and we were I'm tired. I'm sorry to any Oklahoman who's listening to this. Yeah, <laughs> Write but to we, your representative. <laughs> yeah, we, there was a long stretch of drive where it was only scores and it was like six hours and it was in we we had to use cds this was predates the joy of bluetooth and like pulling oh, yeah. it up on your phone so i had like a cd sleeve full of movie soundtracks nice. and you did too and that's how we yeah that's how we passed the time 
I remember before CDs, when I was younger and I would still be watching VHS tapes, this was like before DVD VHS tapes. This is like when it was just VHS tapes. But I'd hear a song that I really liked, and so I'd have to wait until the credits were rolling in the movie. And then towards the end, of course, towards the end, it says like all the songs that were used, so I'd have to pause it. Yeah. But I didn't know what the name of the song was, so I would have to write down all of the songs. Oh, wow. I'd always hope that like the name would be one of the lyrics. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I think that's it. And then you'd find it and it's the song you hated. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then I have to download it on LimeWire and not have dad find out because he'd be pissed. Oh, man. But yeah, I was thinking about Philip Glass when you mentioned strings because he's, he's one of my favorites. And he's like, in my mind at least, he's the master of the strings. The low strings in particular. Yeah. He loves the cello. Yeah, and I read somewhere that somebody called strings the straightest road to emotional connection because it's the most expressive because it's the closest to human vocal tone and so people generally have a much stronger reaction which explains why Mm. most horror scores or at least like traditional horror scores were pretty much strings at least for the the tension you know the tension moments that's interesting i've i always just like think it's so embedded in our psyche because of classical music that strings just come from such a dramatic element because there's such beautiful classical music that's out there and you know horror and i think aggressive type of and minor tones a lot of classical music has a lot of that in there and i think they kind of blend together so well and it's nice to see like even though i do like a lot of the newer electronic scores and that's kind of what i do um, I love blending in strings, you know, like even take the shining, for example, like there's just beautiful strings that are in there along with just these odd percussion things that really heighten the whole element of that score. Like that's one of the most terrifying It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's just mm-hmm. terrifying the whole way through. And the music really helps out. Oh, it's a too. total companion piece. And I wanted to mention before I forget, cause we're talking about strings and we're talking about horror movies, the witch. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was that, that was Barry McCreary. No, that was uh, – I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, he built this thing called the Apprehension Machine, yes. which is – it's basically like you can bow with it. You can turn it, and it takes strings to a, this evil, amazing place that I just love. It's it's messed up. The the things that you can do with a bow and a sheet of metal you know, or like <laughs> even a nail on yeah. it, you know – some of the times these people are able to pull out these crazy sounds out of this. Yeah. Charlie Clauser, he did uh, the score for Saw, and he did like Wayward Pines and a couple other scores. He has a similar type of thing, but it's he built it himself, and it's this gigantic sheet metal thing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's got all sorts of nails and rods across it, and he'll like bend it and then bow it. Oh, and wow. it's just the most disgusting thing about it. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> Uh, the music composer for The Witch was Mark Corvin. Okay. Mark, Corvin. Mark Corvin. I just thought it was so fascinating because there's a term. I, I didn't know there was a name for it, but it, it's called Mickey Mousing. When the music is a direct imitation of the visuals on screen, usually for like cartoons, like for a more Fantasia type of, um, oh, okay. you know, well, like it's a direct um, companion piece. It's not supposed to stray very far from what you're seeing. Well, Fantasia is interesting because that's one of the few exceptions. The music came first and the imagery came later. True. And usually it's the other way around. So Mm -hmm. everything that was drawn and animated for Fantasia, the music existed first. And then it was whatever the animators. Did we watch a whole documentary on Fantasia? 
No, but I loved loved the original Fantasia as a I child, the and the last one um, scarred me for uh, life. Fantasia two thousand. No, 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 no. Fantasia two. Uh, no, yeah. I'm talking about the last the of the the villain. Yes, you oh, know, man. Night on Bald Mountain or whatever. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. That well, as a six year old girl yeah. with a, who was like, wait, oh my god, when I was I was a baby, I was a pussy in regards to scary stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, that that shit. Yeah, was not like frightening. <laughs> hey, I'm brave. You watch The Shining. I'll take it back. I no. And I like The Shining. What did you make me watch? I was just like pissed. She'll watch one horror movie a year in October. Yeah. I can't mm. remember what it was this year. Oh, well, it was it Trick or Treat. It was Trick or Treat. We watched Trick or Treat and you yeah. liked it. It was the vignette. Have you seen Trick or Treat? Yeah. It's good. Yeah, yeah. It was cute. I liked it. Anyway. It was cute. It was cute. Um, well, it wasn't, it didn't, like, it wasn't horribly scary. Yeah, yeah, we also yeah. watched The Conjuring, it was too, fun, so give true. me some credit. All right. Oh, I, t- I take it back. That was so good. The, that demon nun. The Witch Fuck is the first horror movie. Me too. Oh. Yeah, that was that was terrifying. Me too, me too. So I really like the score for the witch because it seems like this very synth-driven wave is started in. I think it started with Drive in my mind. I mean, obviously it yeah. started in the '80s and in the '70s, but it seemed like Drive was the Renaissance, and you know, strange, Stranger Things, obviously, but. It started more in the horror genre, and then it started to expand into other genres. And we went and saw the new Inferno, the Da Vinci Code series. Oh yeah, and the score was it was gorgeous, but there was the movie uh, was there was some heavy synth in in the score, huh. um, which I hadn't seen. So The Witch is a very traditional, very like orchestral score, but it has this weird thing where they show visuals and then the Music cues, they don't it, – it's so incredibly on polar opposites of what should be appropriate that it somehow works. Yeah, like you um, know? when she steals the – when the witch steals yes. the baby. Yeah. And it's like when uh, she has the, the mortar and pistol. Oh, and she's chopping up the yeah. baby? Yeah. And that, that music's going – it's just like the – it's just like I'm getting goosebumps right now. It's yeah. disgusting. I have goosebumps. It's disgusting, man. Like – that's the no, first like music. That. That's that's a great example of music making you just go like, oh, mm-hmm. like, oh no, yeah. It's like you you were grossed out before, but yeah, check this check out. Check this yeah. out for your ears. <laughs> oh man, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Drive. That was Drive was one of the ones I wanted to bring up. When I saw that, I had I had no expectation of what that movie would even be. And the second that that first track, I guess it's not part of the score, but they got that that artist Kavinsky that song Night oh, Call. Oh God, yeah. Off. The second that song starts playing after he escapes the helicopter and the credits start going up, I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know exactly what I'm in for now. You know, as far as like the tone, yeah. like, OK, I'm ready for this like that. It was a great movie. Yeah, yeah it is. Baby it's, Driver tried to do it. Yeah, Baby Driver was. Uh, I hated it. I did not like it. It was cute. It was cute. That's exactly yeah. what it was. I just pat Edgar on the yeah. back like, hey, good job, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, walk you away. You did the it was yeah. so sad because I, I owe so much of my love of a film to like Edgar Wright. Yeah. And like what he did with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz were both such great love letters to yeah. the genre. And uh, I didn't really care about the others, but. Yeah, I thought uh, Baby Driver. Was, there was just so much that was like, wait, what? Why is Kevin Spacey going to be nice to him? What? Yeah, no. it didn't. But it just, yeah, it made me want to watch Drive again. Yeah. But there'd be scenes in The Witch when it would just be like a super wide symmetrical shot of the woods, just like a stationary shot of the woods and these really heavy strings that were just like building up and the tempo would get faster and faster. And I'm just like, 
about to shit my pants, like looking around, like, what am I missing? Oh my God, <laughs> this is so inappropriate. Yeah. Um, and it's great. It's it, like, it makes you look for something that isn't even there. Right. It's exactly. Only the music. Exactly. And it's a, you know, I started doing this new thing. Um, I have Apple music and aside from marrying you, Apple Music is probably like the best decision that I've made in the oh, last. Oh, but who life. got you on Apple Music? Yeah. Who got that family plan? <laughs> That's true. That's true. You converted me. But yeah, I started doing this thing where I listen to scores for movies that I have not seen yet, huh. and I don't necessarily do it intentionally. But uh, and like I said, I don't have any authority per se. I I do obsess about film music, so I I know a fair amount about composers. So if I see one of my favorite composers has a new album out, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's check out this new album by Cliff Martinez. And I forget it. It's like, but it's, uh, it's you know, to go alongside a movie that you haven't seen. <laughs> but you just kind of Roll you make up it. your own story, you know. Like I listened to The Passenger Score by it's Thomas Newman. Incredible. Because Thomas Newman is probably uh, my third favorite composer of all time. Just very emotionally uh, connected. Me okay. and him are together. He doesn't know it, but we are. <laughs> and uh, the passenger score is like beautiful. And I think I listened to it after you had told me that you weren't really a big fan. So I just listened yeah. to it just to just to see. Yeah. So the score is beautiful. I didn't know it, uh, you don't learn know anything about the movie. You like make up your own movie, like what it's going to be about. So I I think that I knew that I would like the movie bef- before I saw it because the music and the the cinematography was really beautiful and appropriate. And those two things is really all I needed. Like anything could have happened on screen and I'd have been like, that was a good movie, you know, because <laughs> those two elements hold so much weight in my mind when I'm watching a movie. I've, I've done that once where I listened ahead of time and it kind of, it totally backfired. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was when it was, uh, it was True Detective, you know, the HBO show True oh, Detective. Oh, yeah. So it was T-Bone Burnett. Yeah. He did that music. So T-Bone Burnett got this chick, Lura Lynn, who's one of my all-time favorite musicians now. Mm-hmm. And I found her because of this. So the, the trailer came out, and it was this song called um, The Only Thing Worth Fighting For. And it was like the, the show was still maybe, you know, a couple months out from airing. And I just kept listening to it. I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Like, it's going to be so good. It was True Detective season two, and yeah, uh, you needed to clarify. Yeah, yeah, no, the first the first season's amazing, but it was the second season. I was so stoked for it, and the music was just incredible. So, like at the end of every episode, when it cuts back to the um, the bar that like Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell like drink at every night, mm-hmm. she Lura Lynn is like the the junkie on the stage, oh. and it ends like every episode ended with one of her songs, and she'd play it, and that was it was beautiful. The music was amazing. It was just the show kind of flopped. But yeah. I still follow her. Like, her music is incredible. Yeah, her and T-Bone Burnett yeah. did that. So, CJ, I know probably my earliest memory of film music is when I was younger and rented the Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Batman cassette tapes from Peoria Public Library. Uh-huh. Danny Elfman is, like, the first thing that kind of drew me away from, like, the visual part of storytelling. Can you Can you think of, like, your earliest memory of film music or something that captured your attention? It wasn't until later. Like, honestly, I was not a music person until about 15 or 16 years old. Like, I kind of was into it. Like, I appreciated it. My dad was a huge music nut. Like, we always listened to the Rolling Stones or some something along those lines. But I was a sports guy until 15 or 16. And then I started to play guitar because my dad had a guitar. And I realized I kind of had an inclination to it. 
and just started to really get into music. But I don't think film music affected me until I had worked at a movie theater and I was like, I don't know, 19 or 20 or something like that. I worked at two theaters and uh, I would just go in and check on like a movie and just going in and like catching brief glimpses of stuff. And I would somehow just get in the habit of walking at the same time without even thinking about it. And I think the wave of sound that I would get at each time would like reinforce mm-hmm. the scene that was going on. That's awesome. And so it was kind of interesting to me, like how I could start to like pick up on that. And that was kind of where I started to do it. But mainly like I want to say the dark Knight was the first time and maybe inception those two movies, even though like I know people jock on Hans Zimmer, um, I think like those are the first times that I really noticed that I was like in the movie at that point, you know, like the opening string piece of the dark Knight when before the glass breaks is just like, I was like, Oh shit. Oh shit. This is going to be awesome. I was in that movie. At so that it was point. Norm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's so true. We were privileged enough to be able to go see Hans Zimmer when he was at Allstate. Oh, wow. And 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 Anna had had a couple beers, so I took advantage of her generosity, and we splurged on the on the, on the good tickets. Yeah, yeah. But he um, <laughs> give me like two beers and then propose a big purchase, hey, and I'm like four seats. Yeah, yeah. He also did this. That's how we ended up with our TV. Yeah. Here, here's another. I'll take your credit card. <laughs> no, this was a really good purchase because this was a really really cool experience. To hear those themes live is not something that you often get to do, but then to have it not just like a great conductor, but to have the actual composer who's the one who's up there. And he did so much of the performing himself. Yeah. Like he played the guitar for the Gladiator yeah, yeah. score. So like, I don't know if he did on the actual soundtrack itself, but Probably when did. we saw him, the performance, he sat down and he played the guitar to the Gladiator soundtrack. That is so and rad. it was like really, really cool. So it was very theatrical too. He had like really like be- these like beautiful violinists that stood at the front in these like cool black dresses. And there's so much of his stuff is so string heavy. Um, so like when they played Pirates of the Caribbean, um, oh, yeah. which is one of the most fun soundtracks to listen to. The, there's, it's a very heavy violin, and those cool girls standing up at the front with their cool, like weird, like minimalism electronic mm-hmm. violins, just like rocking out. It was a really cool experience. I really liked. He he did a lot of talking too, and he talked about the because he's super German. Das he um, talks like this, and he's got a great <laughs> sense of humor, and he's got he's like so funny, crazy pants and crazy socks. But he was talking about how his publicist a couple years ago first suggested doing these like national tours he's on a beyonce world tour yeah and he's and he's so humble he was like so shocked that somebody would even suggest doing something like that you know and the all-state arena was like sold out and almost everywhere he goes is completely sold out and it's because you are playing a guitar with fucking razor blades and that is insane <laughs> yeah but he, and he had the original singers from the lion king soundtrack yeah, that was cool. Crazy. that was like I had tears in my eyes. That was a that was a moment. That was a moment yeah. in my life that will never go away because that was fucking crazy. And like the whole audience had a very emotional response. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just like, oh yeah. Anyway, there was that interview with him talking about he did the. I think one of the first of the tour was his Coachella performance. Oh yes, yes. and he was oh, saying God, like so it, his performance was rated as one of like 
the best performances of the weekend. It had a huge attendance and he said he could literally like see, so it was like the audience was there, but it started to grow because people would be like, Oh, Hans Zimmer. Like, Oh, I know that. Song. I get it. And, and like, they just like, they finally realized what they were watching and it became one of the highlights of the entire weekend. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is so cool that yeah. he performed at Coachella. I know. Yeah. What a random, like, and he's like up next Kendrick Lamar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a Weird. tough act to follow. Yeah, s- smells bring me back a lot. Like if I have a certain soap that Anna's using or something that's like, holy shit, I just like 100% got transported back to being nine. And and visual-wise, it's not even close. But audio-wise, I don't think there's anything as strong that's like as powerfully nostalgic. And I think that's why my connection to film music is so strong, I guess. But yeah, we watched a documentary last year called Scored that was on iTunes. Uh That was like a two-hour documentary that was just on film music. It was what I've been waiting for for a long time. It was so good. Scored? Scored. It is so much fun to watch, and it's so interesting. You know, there are big names that we all know, like John Williams, Hans Zimmer, Thomas Newman. Howard Shore, like, you know, there are, there are the top fives, like the stars of the world, but then there are a bunch of like B guys who write soundtracks for all the movies that we still see, you know, like not everything is this huge sweeping epic, like it's it's a job and, but it's also a very creative job and the lengths that they go to, to write these scores and create sounds that they need for a film is really interesting. And they're under like really like intense deadlines because like by the time they get it, like like they're one of the last pieces of the puzzle, so they like better like turn it out. And it was so it was so interesting. It also was, it talks like historically like where the actual film soundtrack came from, That's and like so cool. yeah, like all the way back in like the '30s, like. And then of course it talks at length about the impact that John Williams had and how much he changed the landscape of film composition because until him, it was a very different, just a different experience. And then here came this, you know, the former director of the Boston Pops who was like. No, let's make it like a full orchestral experience with a live orchestra. And, um, you know, that's what he wanted to do. And that's what he did. And he opened a lot of doors and changed a lot of minds and paved the way for a lot of change in the industry. And uh, and so now we get people like Hans Zimmer, who still works like still still utilizes orchestral scores, but also layers in a very new sound with a lot of his percussive instruments yeah. and the distortion that he does. And I'm sure it's in post-production to some degree and what makes his music, I think so accessible because it sounds so fresh, but it's also very deeply rooted in, you know, these like classic strings and classical orchestral instruments, like the timpani, the bells, you still hear that in his stuff, but it's also, you know, like the dark Knight is a great example of that. And I think why people love that soundtrack so much, myself included, because it's these driving strings and these like deep percussive, like it's like, it's also sounds like a heartbeat, like your pulse is racing mm-hmm. with the music, but then it's got this like weird distortion and these weird sounds that are just unique and make it sound like almost like the chaos, you know, it reflects the chaos of yeah. the Joker. Like the music is very much a character in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's integrated so strongly into mm-hmm. the like theme of the, of the film. And Hans, in this documentary score talks about how there was some resistance to the way that he does things at first, but now, you know, he's very widely regarded, but he talks a lot about, uh, maybe did he say this when 
we saw him. I can't remember. But his one of his my favorite scores of his, I think, is so overlooked is the Da Vinci Code. And it's I mean, the movie itself is like, eh, it's OK. But the score is gorgeous. And there's a scene where at the end of the movie where Tom Hanks really like, basically figures out what happened the whole movie and like where this like mythical it's buried whatever not to give away spoilers but it's yeah he's if in, you were gonna watch the da vinci code tonight <laughs> sorry sorry Spoiler oh, man. tom hanks figures it out but he's standing in front of the louvre and in paris france and there's that crazy triangle that's there in front of the louvre now and architecturally it was very um controversial when that went up because it was a japanese architect who put a very modern piece of architecture this it's a crazy glass triangle in front of one of the most you know it's highly respected museums in the world classical it's incredible right but the the soundtrack is these beautiful gorgeous sweeping strings it sounds like it's very symphonic but underneath it he has this pulse of a synthetic drum beat and it drives it forward because he's like figuring it out and those two things on time it's like old meets new like east meets west this and it's so cool and it totally reflects like it's gorgeous first of all and it reflects where he is and it reflects the story and this like cool climax of oh damn that's where mary magdalene's buried you know like she's been under the louvre this whole time sorry to spoiler alert but like it's a really cool scene and the the amount of thought that went into it and it's also just like melodically like so so pleasing to listen to because it's very, it's just those those strings and it just like builds and builds and builds and then it's like oh whoa yeah it's, that's such a great example of music that like brings to fruition a like a previous foreshadow or like motivates a certain action on screen you know that mm-hmm. that's why it's so I'm so fascinated by horror movie music because there's a guy that was um, he still does work but his name is Marco Beltrami. And he did the Scream movies, and oh. they were – and that those scores are amazing. Unfortunately, most recently he did A Good Day to Fucking Die Hard, oh, no. which I – mean, whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a job. A Good Day to yeah. Fucking Die Hard. Yeah. yeah. The Omen and Carrie, though, and both of those scores are fantastic. They're he did, super oh, he did the new Carrie? School. Yeah, and they just sound amazing. They're really, really string heavy, mm-hmm. and uh, they're really good. Yeah, but with horror movies especially, when – she hears a strange sound and she goes to investigate. That's when music gets to take center stage, you know, especially in horror film. Um, so in Clockwork Orange, there's a scene where Alex and his crew are basically beating the shit out of this guy and also like kind of raping this girl. And he starts to sing Singing in the Rain, which is super inappropriate and Kubrick is explaining, like, the connection between these two, you know. He's like, you know, Singing in the Rain, when Gene Kelly actually sings that song, is, like, the happiest that this character has ever been. And it's, like, a celebration of life and joy and love. And it's, like, the very pinnacle of of happiness. So the fact that Alex, while beating and raping somebody, would, like, the fact that singing in the rain would come to mind is kind of, like, the same equivalent. But it's just so fascinating. It's using cognitive dissonance as this emotional tool in film. And that's a really great example of it because it's so conflicting to watch. And it's hard to, I mean, that scene is hard to watch. You could watch it with the music off and it would be like, oh, God. But with the music on, it creates an emotional response and it, it really challenges the audience 
and it's fucked up. Shame does this too. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen Shame, but Michael Fassbender plays a sex addict on a downward spiral. And it's a really great movie and it's really challenging to watch. And there's a scene at the end where he is hitting rock bottom. Like he is, he has lost everything. You want to explain this scene? Shit's getting nasty. It's like real. It's it is. It's is this basically the, the rim job scene. This is the rim job scene. He yeah. ends up with Whoa. two hookers, and it like he's eat, he's eating her ass, and you're oh, like, no. I first of all don't know how you whatever camera trick you're doing. Like this is impressive, <laughs> but it's this like incredible classical. You hope it's a camera trick. <laughs> I, I, I hope it's just his face. <laughs> and the, the, the butt profile just comes in the shot. He just like holds his tongue out and a butt just like moves into Bring in the stunt butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do yourself a favor and watch it and, and then you'll understand why like the whole time I was like, how how are they filming this? Like I don't understand. Or the use like soundtrack. the Benny Hill. The Benny Hill sound <laughs> The music is so beautiful that it's so it's a difficult scene to watch because you've watched this character go through a lot and lose a lot, lose everything. And this music is so beautiful. And it's this like tragic. It's like a Chopin nocturne almost like it sounds so fucking sad and it's so beautiful. But like and you know it, but it's very sexually aggressive and it should be like a hot scene. But you know that this guy like this is the this like this is it for him like. He's been through some shit Mm -hmm. and like, he's not doing great. This is bad. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Like he's got two hookers. Like he just got a blow. He just gave a blow job in an alley. Like things are not great, but it's so conflicting to watch. And the music makes it bearable, but also like really pushes you as an audience member to like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Woof, this is tough. Wow. Why don't you give us an example of a piece of music that I asked you to to prepare? Sure. I'll just play a a little clip. some good Thomas Newman. Sure is. Well, you know what it is. I know it, but I can't. His soundtrack has fucked me up for 10 years. From the American Beauty soundtrack. Yes. I was thinking, I was like, I know Kevin Spacey's in This just became my new favorite game. Name this movie. (laughs) Can you play this song? Oh, that's a great game. I love that. Yeah, that's my, uh, I think, I mean, that movie came out in 99, so it's like, I I really didn't watch it and I, I didn't appreciate it until I was probably like, up at like 2008-ish to like really, you know, I think isn't an, a, there's a maturity required and even then it wasn't that mature. So, yeah. um, but that movie hit me hard and um, this, the music hit me hard right away. And I even, I think I ordered that CD online, like an actual physical hard copy of it because it's before streaming and I never trusted LimeWire. I gave my computer all kinds of viruses. So I, I ordered it online and uh, I don't know where it is at this point, but it's a constant rotation. It's like when I want to feel sad, I listen to that soundtrack or when I just want to feel because it, it, it creates a very like it's just a very visceral um, and elegant soundtrack. Um, and it's just it's gorgeous. There's that's just one of them. But there's like three themes in that 
score that repeat themselves that are just very introspective. They just put you in a headspace that's that's very thoughtful. Yeah. I read a review where they had put that movie in a subcategory that was called hyper-realistic, where it puts people in such a space where it's uncomfortable and they don't want to be. And I think in that regard, that's exactly what they're going for. Like, especially Sam Mendes, who's not one to shy away from uncomfortable storytelling. But a movie like that, you know, obviously Kevin Spacey dies at the end. But he tells you at the beginning, in less than one year, I'll be dead. A.K.A. I'm going to die at the end of this movie, so don't be fucking shocked. You know, because yeah. people give that movie such a bad reputation because they, you know, they think it's they think it's depressing or they think I mean, parts of it are depressive. People but, have a lot of opinions about it. Right. And it's different responses. Right. So but people- it's one of my favorite endings for a movie. I mean, we could do an entire podcast. About we have. It. We have done an entire one on American <laughs> Beauty. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Norm, did you did you yeah. find something? Yeah, so I I had narrowed it down to three, and I, I picked it today. I, I'm only going to play my number one. My number three and my number two were actually both Ennio Morricone. Oh, yes. So number three he did with John Carpenter is the song Desolation from The Thing, which is oh, the thing. Oh, fuck, the I forgot. It's like the heartbeat. And then and you saw that one live. I did see it perform uh, live, and that was cool. I'd have been so sad if you missed that one. I know. Well, it, we were almost late, and like right as I got into the theater, the thing started. Just <laughs> like it was meant to be. Yeah. Then uh, the, coming up at number two would be uh, the ecstasy of gold from the good, the bad, and the ugly, which isn't the. Ah, it's not that one, but it's the piano. Anytime it cuts to the to the wide landscapes and like Clint's, you know, smoking. <laughs> Probably, and mm-hmm. it's like they're searching for the treasure. That's the theme for that. It's, it's piano and flamenco guitar and uh, some horns in there. But my number one all-time favorite that gets stuck in my head more than I'd care to let on was by uh, Javier Navarrete, I think is how you say his name, but it's the Pan's Labyrinth. <gasps> oh, yeah. oh, good like, choice. For, I'll play it, and then I'll talk about it. It's a re- I know it's it's like gut wrenching. Yeah. It's for the the movie. It, it is a fairy tale. You know the whole movie is yet taking place during the Spanish Civil War. It's incredibly violent. And the first time I saw it, you know, you're reading the subtitles. I saw it in Peoria. I remember we literally had to tell people like, shut up, like just <laughs> shut up, read. You know, yeah. And like even even, even if it was. <laughs> It was like a horrible, what would be considered a horrible film watching experience, but I was just so sucked in. By the end of it, I was a wreck. But the score is my all-time favorite because it's literally, you're watching, you watch a guy watch his son get his face smashed in with a bottle. You watch people die horribly, and every time then that 
theme that that one theme kind of comes in and it, it's kind of like holding your hand like hey this is a fairy tale remember like it's going to be okay that's like, a, no matter what happens stay by me that and, is and, and that's we'll awesome good. i love that description yeah it's 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 incredible uh, it's one of my all-time favorite movies one of my all-time favorite scores i think that is a perfect example of visual and audio nailing it yeah nailing it, it is such an element of fantasy but yeah it it, it almost like reinforces that like it's only a story yeah we're gonna keep it going because we made end. this movie yeah, like but it's just it's only a movie yeah. <laughs> and well, yeah well, that bottle scene is one of the most brutal just the fact that they never shy away no and that it's not stylized it's not implied it's not hinted at he fucking bashes his face in with a bottle. That's when yeah. you realize this movie is going to be different than when you thought it yeah. was. Yeah, no, it and you're like, but it's oh, two fuck. very different stories. You know, it's like this is what she's escaping from, and this is what she's escaping to. I don't know. It's that's fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. Siege. Siege. Uh, so I almost, I almost went a couple different routes because I'm a big Bernard Herman fan. I really like. The theme for Taxi Driver is just like it's kind of different than the other stuff that he's done, like Psycho, and it's it's just this like depressing jazz that just sets this whole tone of you're not gonna enjoy what you're about to see, yeah. you know, which mm-hmm. is great, and it's it's good. I think I resonate a lot with his like note choices. To me, they're just like perfect for what he's doing. And then also, I really uh, I'm a big fan of Andre Desplat. Um, he's Ooh, good so good. Um, I didn't choose him, but I would have. His piano work is just Incredible. amazing. Like he's so good, and he's one of the ones that kind of got me into like realizing that you can do a lot of heavier stuff with traditional percussion. Like I would listen to the Godzilla soundtrack, and it's just so heavy. It's crushing. It's like almost metal to me. Like Gojira and this could flow together pretty easily in my <laughs> eyes. Um, but I decided to go with. Something by Hans Zimmer. I'm sorry, I'm being a Hans Zimmer fanboy. <laughs> Don't apologize. <We> <laughs> yeah. This is like the first time that I was sucked into like realize the effect of music, and it like goes throughout the whole film in various pieces. So it's the dream is collapsing. Oh, it's so good. It is so, so good. good. Yeah. And like when they're on the, the sn- when they're like going down the, the hill and like shooting guns at each other, it's just like you're in that moment. And throughout the whole thing, this is just like a precursor to like, is this the part of the dream? Like, am I stuck in this thing? Yeah. It's, there's just so many different levels to it that that was like one of the first times I was into just like I'm a big fan of like John Williams and, and people that, you know, write these sweeping scores. But to me, like. I find it's most effective when you can bring someone into the scene and get them like trapped in what is going on. They're not thinking about the music in like a different turn. Like it's all based in that reality right there. And that's my favorite thing to do. And that's what I try to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like when I was thinking when you had said about that, this was one of the first things that came to my mind is I realized it was like that's, you know, part of it. Like they couldn't be separated. Like I can listen to it on my own, but. I'm going to think about Tom Hardy going down that, you know, yeah. down that mountain. Yeah. I imagine it would be such a fun place for a composer to be with uh, with a movie like Inception when you are supposed to disorient the viewer and you, for a while, you don't want them to know what's going on. 
And so the music is such a great tool to add to that disorientation and to alter the, the rhythm and, you know, that's cool. I bet he was stoked when he was having that discussion with Christopher yeah. Nolan about it. He's like, his ga- his mind was working. He's like, ah, oh, this is great. And they, they work so well together. It make, I, I did a lot of reading about composers, and it makes such sense that most mainstay directors have their go-to composers, like mm-hmm. Hitchcock had Bernard, Bernard Herrmann and the Coen brothers. They used Johnny Greenwood a lot, yeah. who was the bass player for Radiohead. And he did Phantom Thread, and he did There Will Be Blood. Yeah, so I did not choose something from Blade Runner. You'll be shocked. Ooh. I'm proud. Um, one of my favorite movie terms is an anachronism, which is like an item or a prop that's in a movie that doesn't belong in its time period. There was a bunch of them in It Follows. Oh, yeah. They, the whole movie kind of looked like the 80s, but... There were like technologies that didn't exist back then. They used way old technologies and then they had like made up technology devices and it just helps to like take you out of the the element. So there was a show, it's not on anymore. It did not, it it didn't never did very well, but it was called The Nick and it was uh, Steven Soderbergh. (laughs) Clive Owen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you laughing over there. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times you tried to get me to watch this show. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> but how, sh- many, how many clips he had queued up waiting for me to just walk by? I'm so manipulative with my clips. I'll, like, get the clip ready that I want to show her, and then I'll, like, ready for her to walk by, and I'm like, in three, two, one. Oh, hey, what's up? I'm just watching this clip here if you want to sit down. But the show didn't do very well. The setting was the early 1900s with the medical field before antiseptics, before rubber gloves. And Clive Owen is the troubled genius doctor who's also a junkie. But the production value is unbelievable. Um, But anyway, the music was the anachronism and was part of the reason the show did not do very well because there's only two seasons. And so if you can imagine a time period movie like the early 1900s, and then this is one of the songs from it. Just like super weird. There's like kind of futuristic, kind of, uh, it's got all of these elements and none of them are reminiscent of the 20s. Yeah, it's, like it's beautiful, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but it's still, to me, it's that same like, cognitive dissonance. Yeah. yeah. But it just didn't make sense. Like when you showed me clips of the show, it, it really didn't make sense in the context. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It can't just be like one random thing element that tries to create that conflict, but if it's just like the score doesn't match, then the score doesn't match. Yeah. You know, it would have been better served by something that's more accurate of the time that they lived in or create some other production elements that mirror the, the soundtrack because that's great music. Yeah, I love we're it. We're out of time for the podcast. It's totally true. <laughs> and it's good evidence why the show only lasted two seasons. Yeah. And now I won't watch it. 
but you only have to watch two seasons. It's not like you have to catch up on four. Oh, man. But yeah, that song played while he was in a taxi. Was he like gum and coke or something? Uh, no, no, he was, he was shooting heroin. Yeah, oh, he was yeah, shooting yeah. coke into his, into his toes. And then right after that, his secretary has to shoot coke into his uh, dick. Cause oh, he's... God. Anyway, it's a fucked up <laughs> show. It's Damn. really gross and it's really gory. Damn. Ugh. Maybe I should have chose something else. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. I was gonna, I was going to go with a binary sunset theme because yeah. that's one of those like beautiful bone chilling. Oh yeah, everybody recognizes oh. this. Could I have one final honorable mention? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, maybe is, we can all give an honorable it's, it's mention. On, well, this is on the complete opposite of everything we've been talking about. Is the movie that has no score. Blair Witch by the, Project? By the Coen brothers, uh, No Country for Old Men. Oh. And it's something I didn't even realize oh, until yeah. probably like years later talking to somebody. They're like, yeah, and there's no music. And I was like, what do you mean there's no music? And I went back and I watched it, <laughs> and there's no music in the whole movie. And that makes it so unsettling. It's like, could there really have been like, like okay, get the acoustic guitar for when Josh Brolin's like <laughs> walking across the plains, you yeah. know? I, I think that's a good example where they were able to step back and be like, there's nothing we can really do to add. That's to what this. mother did. Mother didn't really have hardly anything. Yeah. Well, mother was mother sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That was, I wanted to, to mention that. Too. That's yeah, but, that's and no country for old men was an excellent movie. And there were some like incredible performances. I still think about that character. What was his name? Anton. Oh Javier yeah, Bardem's Javier character Bardem's. with his bulk. Remember that coin, the, the coin flip scene when he's in the grocery store flip, talking flip, to that guy. The coin. And the I, coin. I think you're right too. It's like you because know the isolationism is such a big part of that movie, and just feeling so like miles away from any civilization. Fucking cattle it's like blower. if we put any music in this, we're gonna detract from what we're the intensity. Doing. Yeah, so good. That's a great one. True. Um, I really thought about playing the Lion King soundtrack because it's so beautiful. And it's another Hans, and it's topical because they're doing the new one, and thankfully Hans Zimmer is on board. That's always a qualifier for me. Like, please, please get the original person back. And like when you know when John Williams left the Harry Potter franchise just for time constraints, just like took a nosedive musically. Yeah. I just like to pretend the fourth movie never happened. But then when Alexander Desplat took over um, for the last two, I think it was. I mean, he might have done six. I think he just did two. The set, the both seventh, seven and one and seven two. Uh, they are incredible again. So I thought about playing The Lion King, but I think there's a John Williams score that I think is sometimes overlooked because he does these like really incredible, sweeping, huge orchestral productions. But one of my favorites of his is Schindler's List. Mm. And it is... Mm. Yep. That, yep, it is so incredibly... Uh, that was actually me. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> well, you've never seen the movie. I've never seen the movie. Putting you on blast. <laughs> me neither. Oh, my God. Okay, well, I realize that watching like a two and a half hour long movie about the Holocaust isn't like an awesome Saturday. <laughs> it's next on my list. <laughs> but, it's the best donor movie of the decade. <laughs> it, oh, I think it's an important movie to watch. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not asking you to watch Shoah here. Like, that's like 10 hours. Watch what? Shoah. It's a Holocaust documentary. It's like forever oh. long and it's super sad. But... The movie itself is not your average Spielberg. There's some really great performances. The subject matter is tough to watch, but the score is unbelievable. And there's that violin riff, the violin melody that most people recognize. I think the context of the movie is important. Like this was Spielberg. That's what they finally accepted for his film thesis, like 15 years or something later. That's what got him his degree was they were like, no, okay, here you go. And uh, (laughs) when he asked John Williams to do it, John didn't want to at first because he was nervous that he couldn't do it justice. 
And Spielberg was like, no, you can do this. And so he, the original violinist on the soundtrack is a man named Itchak Perlman, who's like the top of the top of the game, you know, mm-hmm. and like played this a Jewish violinist who just like plays his heart out. And it's not one that people often remember because it's not like a fun movie to watch. Yeah. You know, you watch Schindler's List once or twice and then you're like, I'm good. And then you don't really need to watch it over and over again. No. It's not like Star Wars. But a very important movie, obviously. But it's important and it's, I think it shows John Williams' capabilities to step outside of his normal, what he, he does so well and is the master of, and write something that is um, very elegant and it's very appropriate and it's historically significant and it's like really, really moving. So I think um, just the whole soundtrack is just like incredible. So Very nice. one of these That's days I'll get one. you to watch Schindler's List. Yeah, for sure. We'll have a popcorn night Couldn't, together. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't we watch Schindler's either, List but over the Nick soundtrack? <laughs> Can we do that? Steel drums and phasers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would have been your second choice? Uh, you know what? I also really am a big fan of a gentleman named Abel. I forget how to pronounce his last name, but it's super Polish. He does the soundtrack for... Penny Dreadful, oh, okay. which is like super string heavy, but it's super minor. Yeah. And it's just like outstanding. He also did Nocturnal Animals, which was kind of an interesting oh, score, man. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh. So this guy is just like. <laughs> Norm just walked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's really good with strings. And it's, again, it's something that I really want to be good at. So mm-hmm. I love listening to, to people that just excel at that. And hits you know like i could almost see this guy playing in a metal band you know yeah because it's just so menacing and evil some of the tones that he uses so i probably would recommend you know check his stuff out too because it's just great yeah i'm walking away with some good recommendations here i guess that was my whole point too uh not that i want to come across as arrogant or pretentious but i definitely urge anybody who's like still listening at this point who doesn't really care that much about film music to put a little bit of effort into being cognizant of the movie that's playing, you know, whether it's appropriate or inappropriate. I don't know. It's just the part of Apple Music that says, if you like this, you'll also like this. Their algorithm is so perfect. Netflix is shit. It doesn't. It's, it, you can totally tell what it's movies totally they're trying random. to push. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you like The Witch? You should check out Sex in the City too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my quality of life has improved greatly because of Apple Music. Spotify Premium has a very similar way that they do things. So either one of those two, but Apple Music is really great. The for you button at the bottom. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Yeah, it knows me pretty well. I'm to the point Nailed where I'm it. almost exclusively listening to movie scores. Like That's we watched great. the other day we watched three billboards outside of Ebbing and within ten oh, minutes yeah. within ten minutes Anna was like, I'm surprised that you're not downloading the soundtrack and I was like, and done. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, and it was good. So thanks for coming on, Norm. Thanks for having me, man. This was great. I love this one. Wife, babe, thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. CJ, thanks. We also re- are recording at CJ's uh, studio, by the way. Do you have uh, Do you have anything you want to you want to plug? No, not really. You know, <laughs> I, I enjoy having you guys over. I mean, you don't have time fun, for anything you know? else, so you yeah. probably shouldn't plug anything. <laughs> yeah, you got to get back to work, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, of course, if you want to hear the rest of our episodes, you can go to SoundCloud.com/slash/MovieShowTheater. Um, or you can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to check out our Facebook page, you can leave a movie request, and we will totally do your movie. Sam would love that, too. He's he's always asking if uh, we've got any more recommendations. 
So check that out if you want to make Sam happy. Otherwise, until next time, I'm Jimmy. I'm Norm. I'm Anna. I'm CJ. And you've been listening to Movie Theater. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs>